All right, great to see everyone. Blessings to have this time together with all of you to be connected. You know, if you're joining us for the first time, I'm Pastor Terry. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. Today, I want to talk about, I want to share with you around this idea. Really, it's a, a truism that we're invited into to find our truest identity in Jesus. You know, we're going to have to ground our identity somewhere. And the Lord invites us to ground it in Him. Our series is, of course, the, the, about, built around the I am's, <laughs> the seven I am statements that Jesus made as they were recorded in John's gospel. I call them the big seven. But really, even more, it's about how we can find our story in the story of Jesus. In other words, it's discovering who I am when I choose to live for the great I am. And, you know, well, Jesus taught us some things, didn't he? He taught us that the, probably the biggest problem we have as human beings occurs when we seek to find ourselves outside of God. And in fact, that's a great working definition of sin, right? Trying to find ourselves, but pushing God outside of that quest. And that was the sin that Jesus came to address. That's why he gave his life for us so that we could have a relationship with God so that he could be every bit a part of our life and that we could find ourselves in him. In him. And I think another way of saying it is this, that when we choose to write our own story apart from God, death, hurt, and pain inevitably follow. It follows as night follows day. <laughs> But when we allow him, when we allow the Lord to help us write our story, the story of our life, to find our story in him, in his story, well, then life flows <laughs> as day follows night. Uh, you know, remember Jesus was clear when he said, I have come to give you life abundantly, endlessly. It's his desire for all of us. C.S. Lewis wrote this in the book called The Four Loves. He said, our whole being by its very nature is one vast need, incomplete, preparatory, emptied, yet cluttered, crying out for him who can untie things that are now knotted together and tie up things that are still dangling loose. Well, I love that, right? The Lord, isn't that what the Lord really wants to do in our lives? Come on, loved ones, you know it, it's true. He wants to untie the things that are knotted together. Like some of us are really knotted up on the inside. I mean, it's a great description of us. We're, we're filled with stress and tense and fearful and we're struggling. We feel all locked up and bound up. And, you know, the Lord wants to untie those things. Jesus wants to help us untie our identity in him and find it in him. And then others of us, you know, he's wanting us to help us tie things Together, these dangling pieces that are loose. The Lord wants to teach us how to have a, a, a coherent, cohesive life, a life that is aligned with him and living in him so that we can find a life that is truly life, the life that we were meant to have in Christ, right? So whether it's, you know, untying the knots or tying together the dangling loose pieces of our lives, this is what the Lord wants to do. And even now, Lord Jesus and I just invite you to pray with me. But even now, Lord, if there is any area of our life where we feel knotted up, just, just all 
tangled and knotted, Lord, we, we invite you by your Holy Spirit to come and untangle those things. And if there's areas of our life where they're just kind of loose and ragged and we need you to, to bring it together and to make it more whole and more safe and, and really more like you, then we welcome you to do that as well, Lord. So just you know, speak to us as we engage your word together. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Yes, for all of us. Amen. Well, in John 6, I want to turn to this piece of, of scripture. In John 6, there was an exchange between Jesus and a crowd of inquirers that prompted what we would call the first of Jesus's I am declarations that are recorded in the book of John. And that first one is when he said, I am the bread of life. Now that, that statement, I am the bread of life, was actually connected to a miracle that Jesus had done earlier on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And it's a beautiful um, lake, the Lake of Gennesaret. It's called the Sea of Galilee, but it's really a lake. And it's just a, a beautiful place. I've been there a few times and I haven't forgotten it. It's it, it just the colors, the, the blue and the beige and the, the, the hues that make up the Sea of Galilee. Uh, once you've seen it, you kind of, the New Testament comes a bit alive in a different way. Well, it was, it was there on the shore that Jesus uh, multiplied, did one of his most astonishing miracles when he multiplied the fish and the bread and he fed 5,000. Uh, and it, it was definitely more than that because it was just 5,000 men that on top of that were, would have been women and children. So it was a massive amount of people. It was a huge crowd that Jesus uh, fed that day. But we pick up in verse 25, and this is where we're going to just sit for a bit. In verse 25 of John 6, it says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, that is teacher, why did you come here? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say, I say this to you, that you are seeking me, but you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And this was a curious way for Jesus to start because they said, hey, because Jesus had come over to where the, these, these people were. And they said, you know, what are you doing over here? We've been looking all over for you, basically. And he was saying, and I think it was, I think it was with a smile. You know, I can't prove it. <laughs> but in my mind's eye, that's what it was. He's saying to them, well, I know why you're looking for me. There's no question in my mind that you enjoyed the miracle provision that I gave yesterday. You know, and it was almost like Jesus was saying, everybody loves a free meal, especially when it's a good one. Right. But the Lord was also saying, but my inquiring friends, you have not actually connected the dots. Uh, you have not allowed that experience of miracle provision and feeding to lead you anywhere. You, you actually have not received it as a sign that points to, here it is, who I am. You have simply come to get another meal. You want to see another miracle. Yes, that's, what, that's your real motive for coming and trying to find me. I wish it was the other, but I know what it is. He was under no illusions. And if you think about it, when Jesus says a sign, I mean, what is a sign but something that points us somewhere, tells us something about where we want to go, how to find our way, right? You know, it was not 
uncommon in Jesus's day for leaders. And this was especially true of the, the Romans to sway the masses with food to fill their bellies. In some cases it was, well, in many ways, like today, still in, in a certain way, it was quite transactional. You take care of us and we will follow and support you. Right? That's good. And Jesus says, in essence, look, I am not interested in being your benefactor. And I'm certainly not interested in buying your allegiance by providing for your temporal needs. Isn't that interesting? Think about that. I mean, otherwise, Jesus would have just spent his entire life in ministry creating food. I mean, if you really want to get down to it, it's that simple. And this really does strike on one of the things that the Lord wants us to understand as we reflect upon our lives, because Jesus would always talk about how life is more than just, you know, bread alone. It's just, it's, it's more than meant to just be for this temporal world. And it's more than just about what we eat to survive and enjoy. You know, I, I do really believe we, we are being reminded here, at least in part, that we must guard against interpreting or living our life loved ones with, you got to hear me on this, with primarily a temporal perspective. Now, obviously, you know this and I know this. We live in a material world. We have real tangible needs. There's no question about that. And, and a lot of our life is actually spent addressing those needs. There's no, like I say, I mean, it, it's why we work. It's why we, you know, buy things. It's why we save and spend and invest and plan and prepare and, and purchase. And I, and I realize that's kind of a, uh, you know, we, what some used to call first world problems are, you know, opportunity. Not everybody in the world has this opportunity to do the things that we just talked about there. But, and Jesus never actually says it's wrong to want to, you know, buy things or, you know, make purchases that make life more enjoyable. He, he didn't say it was wrong to engage our material temporal world in ways that, you know, are satisfying to us. But he did on a number of occasions, who he reminded us of the danger of the absolute, really, folly of living out our story from a purely earthbound perspective. Like he said, don't do that. He always reminds us and to instead live with an eternal perspective. Always, always. Some of you know my admiration for some of the writings of Jim Elliott, who was a, a missionary who ended up becoming a martyr. I mean, he was killed trying to bring Jesus to a people group who never knew him and knew the Lord. And well, he said this, these words, it's one of my, my favorite statements to remind me to keep my priorities in the right place. He said this. Elliot wrote this. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I might say it this way. She is no fool who gives what she cannot keep to gain that which she cannot lose. And this, I think my friends, my brothers and sisters is the key when all is said and done, right? It really is that we need to make sure that we are placing the accent on the right things that we are keeping all things into perspective that we're not getting consumed and focused in on those things that we can't even take with us 
it will be someone else's someday. I mean, some, some of us, we scratch so hard for things that in the end won't mean anything. And we give up uh, the things that are eternal and the things that mean the most in life. And I heard someone say, well, you know, we are a modern culture and in contrast to ancient pagan cultures, we don't do child sacrifice. And I go, that's great, right? <laughs> Thank you. And yet at the same time, there's a lot of people who in their pursuit of success or other things like pleasure are willing to sacrifice their children uh, in a sense of giving them, giving them up, not giving them the attention, not cultivating a spiritual center and, and support system of love in Christ, especially in their lives. Right? That's why we're such a big believer in kids ministry and why we put so much emphasis on it in our church, it's because we really do want to lay a foundation of love that will allow our little ones in community to always remember the things of Jesus. And I think that's true for us as we grow older, certainly. Look at what Jesus said. Look what Jesus said here in the, in the 27th verse. He says, do not work. Remember, he's in the conversation. He's having this conversation with people who are wanting to get something from him. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Don't, Jesus said, simply live to exist. Again, man does not live by bread alone. He, the, the Lord is reminding us that we are not simply a cosmic accident, simply, you know, given the opportunity to experience things or, you know, sustain ourselves at its most basic level. We are, what he is saying, and the Lord has taught us this consistently as you study his words and we study the scriptures, is that, yes, we are broken. We are. And we are deeply flawed. And we are filled in this present state with explicit and unrelenting contradictions. So there's this side of us as human beings. I'll call it the sin-impacted side, this darker side of us. But there's also a part of us that was made to soar, that's capable of love and capable of laughter and capable of artistry and just imbued even in our broken state as human beings with the very image of God, what we call the, the imago Dei in the Latin, right? The image of God, it's, it's an imprint of the God who created us. It's a faded imprint, but it is an imprint nonetheless. An imprint Jesus said that he wanted to bring back to life, to awaken, to redeem, and to restore it. That's, I mean, if you really want to get down to it, that is what the I am, Jesus the I am, had come to do, to awaken the intention of God for our lives. It's as if, <laughs> it's as if Jesus was saying to the miracle-seeking crowd, do you see what God is doing among you? <laughs> it's, it's like they were seeking him for another miracle, another meal. And Jesus was basically saying, you're seeking me now because of what you experienced me doing that seemed to break the laws of nature. And I totally get that. But he's saying, look, the meal is nothing. Not really. It's, it's, almost, it's almost like Jesus saying, the meal is nothing barely worth a nod compared to the greater thing that God is doing before your eyes. Don't miss the bigger thing. You've got your eyes focused on the wrong thing. Then they said to him, well, verse 28, what, was, what must we do to be doing the works 
of God, right? I mean, think about that question. They said, well, what should we do? What good work? What regulation? What rule? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. It's a reminder that faith is both a gift and a choice, by the way. And so they said to him, then, then what sign will you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Think about what's being said here in this exchange. Look at these verses. They said, basically, we'll prove it. You know, show us another miracle. Perform, perform, and we will believe. Look what they said in verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. You know, they were going back in their history. They were going back to another miracle provision of bread. What's called in the Older Testament manna, the mysterious manna, the, the seed that fell like the dew in the morning that was given by God to sustain their ancestors, the children of Israel, as Moses led them in the wilderness. And you can read about it in Exodus 16. God fed them miraculously for essentially 40 years. And it was almost as if they were saying, we, we like what you did yesterday with the bread. It was amazing. But it's not as amazing as what God did with Moses for decades in the wilderness. I mean, if we're stacking up provision, how can you match that one? And Jesus said to them, <laughs> think about this exchange. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave them bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Now stay with me on this. As for the bread in the wilderness and, and uh, you know, however they were caught up reflecting back on it. Jesus is saying, look, it was given by God, not Moses. I just want to clarify that as amazing as it was what Jesus was saying, that temporal bread cannot compare to the true bread that is being given by God from heaven. You are misunderstanding. That bread was just came and it came in and went. It was, it was just designed to feed them, to help them sustain themselves. Yes, it is an amazing thing that God did through Moses, but it's nothing. That temporal provision is nothing compared to what you are actually seeing in front of your eyes and you're missing it. For look what he says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Do you hear, by the way, the cross in those words? Do you see it? Do you see those, how those words represent the purpose of Jesus? Jesus says the bread that was given in the wilderness was given to temporarily quell the physical hunger of the people. But the bread I'm talking about is eternal in nature. It's from heaven above. And they said to him, sir, oh, whoa, it's awesome. <laughs> Give us this bread always. We would love that bread if it's, if it's <laughs> always going to show up and it has no end. Oh, man. We'll save so much money. And they said to him, give us that bread always. We're ready. And Jesus said to them, you still understanding me. Look at verse 35. This is awesome. I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. I am the bread of life. You know, speaking of Moses, that was again, we mentioned this last week, that was the name God gave him when he asked as to, you know, as he stood on that holy ground before the bush that was burning and not consumed in Exodus 3, I think it was verse 13, where it says, then Moses said to God, if, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? In Exodus 3, 14, God said to Moses, I am. And, <laughs> and I, I've always laughed a little bit when I read that passage, you know, God said to Moses, I am. And I think Moses <laughs> says, I am what? <laughs> and he, he says, I am who I am. Oh, yeah, that, 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 that explains it. <laughs> no, it doesn't. What does that mean? And he says, say this to the people. Say this to the people of Israel. This is, again, God's conversation with Moses that I'm referring back to, connecting it to what Jesus says right here. He's basically saying to Moses, you know, say to Israel, I am the eternal, uncontainable, life-giving, self-existent one has sent me to you. Say, I am that I am has sent you. And so the answer that Jesus gives, it's, it's masterful. Wouldn't expect anything less. <laughs> it's masterful in that it does two things simultaneously. One, and I know you can see this, it immediately you know, links Jesus to the moment by the burning bush when God revealed himself to Moses as the I am. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, it's an immediate linkage point. They were talking about Moses in the wilderness. Jesus hits them with Moses and how God revealed to him he was the I am, that Jesus was now declaring himself to be. But even more, it reminds us, this is the second piece here, the second thing it does, is it reminds us that the God who commissioned Moses, think about it, the God that commissioned Moses to be the great deliverer, it's like Jesus was saying, <laughs> he's, he's before you even now. The one who commissioned Moses, the I am who commissioned Moses and said, tell them the I am that I am sent you. He is actually before you right now in human form. He is before you incredibly and wondrously as the bread of life the ultimate deliverer and provision of God. Let's read it again. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The, what is Jesus saying? That the deepest yearnings of the human story are to be satisfied in him. They said, tell us what to do. And he said, believe in me. Tell us what to do. Believe in me. They said, give us a sign and we will believe. And he said, in essence, I give you myself. I give you who I am. All that you need, all that you were meant to be, all that I need, all that I was meant to be, our truest identity and our deepest yearning can be found in Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. Your, your truest identity 
and your deepest yearning can be found in me. And of course, that strikes against both our culture, what the scripture <laughs> describes as the wisdom of this world, and, and I'm going to say it, and all its false narratives around meaning and identity. I mean, there's so many people trying to say what our purpose is and how we are to find our, our true self and what, where our identity is to be found and self-realization or, you know, how we choose to, you know, express ourselves and feel about ourselves. And, you know, on top of that, all the false stories that we can tell ourselves, you know, the lies that we so easily believe about our worth and value, especially compared to others or what our culture or social media tells us we should be. And boy, you know, I, pardon me, but uh, I'm a, I, I do not believe so much of what we see because it's curated and it's fake. It's not real. It's not real life. And yet these are the things that are being lifted up as models of of finding our true identity. I think if you'll be happy, if you do this, you'll be happy. If you identify this way, if you'll be happy, if you, you know, follow this pathway and express yourself authentically. And, and all the time, Jesus is saying, no, you know, those roads lead you to nowhere. They, they lead you to death. A thousand deaths have no answers. It leads to a, a dead end alley. The culture has nothing to give us. It doesn't. Not really. Not when it comes to real life. Not when it comes to true identity. I'll stand with Jesus any day, and I invite you to do that too. And I know so many of you have. You know, and, and I want to say this as well. I know that a lot of us are you know, struggling um, with maybe even sometimes a very real sense of inadequacy. We feel like we don't measure up. And again, I think there's a lot of reasons why we could feel that way. Um, you know, so we're, how can I say it? When we feel like we don't measure up or we don't look like the things that are admired, those insecurities bore in on us and we feel like our life isn't working right. Or, and, and, you know, this can be true even for a believer in Jesus, someone who's opened themselves up to the Lord's touch. And I always want to encourage you to do that. But it doesn't mean that all of a sudden all of our struggles go away. There are times where God does some miraculous healing in our lives. And we will see an area of our life immediately transformed. I, it's stunning. And I've watched that happen both in my life and the life of other people. You know, their lives have been touched and transformed sometimes in miraculous ways that I can only say that's a God thing. That's something the Lord only could do. The master physician at work. But then there are other things that we will carry with us and we'll still struggle with and probably will be struggling with them in some ways to the end of our days until ultimately we see him and, you know, we're giving something new, full deliverance and freedom that we now have a taste of, the love of God at work in our lives, fully realized, wow, that's going to be something. But I do think a lot of us may struggle, struggle with maybe feeling sometimes that we don't measure up. We, we sense our inadequacy. And so we're either, like I said, giving up because we feel like, wow, what's the point? So some of us give up. We do. We just give up. And others of us try to prove up, if I can use that phrase. We want to prove that we do. And so we're, we're, our, our story 
is always about trying to show that we're not this story. And that is a different kind of, of, you know, I would call brokenness. It's, it's a different, it's a different way of, of, of surrendering. Right? One, sometimes we surrender by just not even trying anymore. We quit, we quit. And then quitting becomes a pattern in life. I think we understand that. And then other times we want to, want to prove this is who we are. So we, 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 we take on something that wasn't really meant for us. It wasn't what Christ wants us to be. It, we are trying to make our identity something other than what it, it really should be in Jesus, because there's peace where he is. There's love where he is. There's, there's growth, there's humility, there's hunger, there's, there's, there's wonderful things. And so, you know, some of us may feel less worthy, less lovable, less beautiful. So we struggle. In our secret times, we struggle. We may struggle with depression or addiction or self-hatred or even self-harm. And yet the Lord invites us to find ourselves in him, loved ones, just to, to know that he said, I am the bread of life. If you, if you let me into your life and you have me at the center of your life, you're not going to hunger and you're not going to thirst. I mean, you're going <laughs> to, he invites us to, to drink from his table and to eat the bread that he has for us. And so if I can say this in, in, to you, oh, greatly loved one, <laughs> we, we must just like the listeners in Jesus day, decide where we are going to find our story, our truest identity. So let's not imitate or be overly influenced by the ideals or opinions of our culture, which are as unstable as water. Let us instead determine to find ourselves in him, the true bread sent from above that wants to satisfy us at the deepest levels and show us the way Lord help us to do that. Really. And we would just pray for that Lord, help us to do that. So, you know, I, I have another thought I want to share with you on the backside of our song, but I, I do want to remind everybody that it's time that I get to do it. Don't forget, you know, about our, our giving time. So many of you have been amazing in your tithes and your offerings and the way in which you've honored the Lord. And that's awesome because honestly, that's how we have a church and that's how we're able to do all of this. But even more, it's the way that we honor the Lord and we say to him that he's more important than anything that, that is going to ultimately be let go of. So, you know, with that in mind, don't forget, you can honor him and give faithfully through a variety of ways. You can send it into our offices as some of you do the traditional way you can give it online directly or you can give it through the app. But like I always say, give him first your heart. And so Lord, if we can do that, then everything else falls into place. So with that in mind, here we go. Remind me why. 
about, you know, I, I just want to share with you a couple more things as we sit with this idea of where to find our identity and our security. You know, our culture, I've been saying this, it tells us one thing, to be yourself so that you can find yourself. Worship authenticity above all other gods, self-expression, this is the true freedom. But that's, that's not what Jesus taught us. It really isn't. I thought of what we were reminded of in, in Romans 12 too, which tells us don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So he, you know what the Lord does? He invites us to eat the bread, practically speaking, to, to build our life in him, to find our life in him, to enjoy him, to love him. And then we will naturally love ourselves better in a more healthy way and then in turn be able to love others. But it starts with him, a daily life centered and aligned so that we might say, as Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, <laughs> give us more of you, Lord, what we truly need. And that's my prayer for you. May you be blessed and covered in his love. For he is the bread of life. I am, Jesus said, the bread of life given for you.